Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 11 as we continue on to teach us to pray. Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses. While at the store, the little boy loudly and persistently begs his mother for a toy. Has anyone ever been in this scenario? At first she ignores his pleas, but but he continues to ask louder and cries louder each time. After telling him to quiet down and that he will not be able to have the toy, he begins to throw a fit in the middle of the store, drawing the attention of everyone around them. Embarrassed, the mom picks up her child and moves quickly to the checkout line. Anyone have ever experienced this yet? You may, you will. Or how about Tim? He walks in the house after school. He throws his backpack on the couch. And suddenly approaches his dad and with a forlorn look on his face, he asks his father, I know you're going to say no, but can I go out with my friends to the movies tonight? Charles has a large lump in his throat and butterflies in his stomach as he makes his way into work. The company he works for has just made a giant great sale and the company has been doing business very well this past year. It's booming and his wife encourages him to approach his boss now for getting that raise that he's been promised for some time. But he's nervous about how his boss might react to his request. So timidly he makes his way to the office and knocks on the supervisor's door. Now let me ask you, out of those three scenarios, which one do you think will be most successful in getting what they want? Probably not either of them. They all want something badly, but their approach in getting it leaves much to be desired. They're almost all bound to fail. Now last week as we closed our chapter, we closed out chapter 10 in Luke, He has been recording the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry. And on this account, he he is writing down the memory or the eyewitness accounts of those who who had stopped one time at, or as Jesus, as he's traveling, stops at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. However, as he's there, he's there for some rest, for a respite from his journey and from his travels. He's once again pulled into to settle a dispute between two sisters, with different priorities. And we learn that we must never neglect the person of Christ or the teaching of his word in our serving. They, they both are not in competition together, but they work together. We must, we must uh, desire the good portion. That good portion is Jesus Christ. But as we continue today, as we open up the 11th chapter of Luke, read that the disciples are requesting Jesus to teach them how to pray. So with that, look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It does up here at the beginning. The rest will be in your scripture. But it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Father, we desperately want to pray as Christ prayed. Jesus, I thank you how you modeled that for us and how that's captured in the Gospels. Make us men and women of prayer. Men and women who pray effectively and with boldness and with courage and with an expectation that we have a Father who hears us. Lord, I thank you for the gift of prayer. I thank you for that discipline, that habit of grace, that we may all acquire it. Lord, that we may glorify you and then receive good from you in return. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Jesus is praying another common, or Jesus is praying is another common theme that's found in Luke's gospel. We find Jesus praying in the wilderness. We find Jesus praying in the mountain. Jesus is praying alone. He's praying in the garden. Jesus is always 
praying. This is a, a good way in which he's modeling. This is something that we should do. And, and as his disciples are watching him and listening to him, they're, they're desirous of that. And I don't know if you ever had someone like that in your life where you just had a, either a man or a woman, someone that you just kind of looked up and looked to and you looked at their life and said, man, I want to be able to do that. I remember uh, just being, I think, I don't know, 20, 21, something like that. And uh, I was while with our college and career pastor. And he had invited me on a Thursday night. Thursday night back then was always visitation. I didn't care, matter what church you are. Thursday night you went out and visited um, uh, your members in your church. And so he had asked me to come and I never really had done that much. So I went with him. And, and I remember we saw one or two people. You sit and you talk. Uh, you pray with them. You laugh. You encourage them. And then you, you go to the next house. And I think we hit two or three people that night. But I vividly, here we are 30-something odd years later, and I vividly remember getting out of his car at that night and saying as I was walking back to my car, this is what I want to do. You know, when I was a young person doing the things that a young person does with his friends and family, things that not necessarily are things that a Christian could do, which should do, but those are things that you do when you're young, right? You're, you're sowing your, your wild oats, and I was no wild guy in any respect, but I was doing the things that a young person would do at that age. But I, I remember getting in that car thinking, this is what I want to do. And I was so thankful. That was a life-changing moment. It's just He just invited me to just come on a Thursday night just to visit. It was just going to people's houses and just saying, hey, how are you doing? Now, back then you did that without uh, a forewarning. There was no text. There was no you know, uh, warning. You just showed up at someone's door back then. And I just, I just want to do this. This is what I want to do. And this is what's happening here. And they finally said, Jesus, teach us to pray as, as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Prayer is an important discipline for the disciples. And it should be a deep desire for every Christian to learn how to pray. And not only just to pray some, some formula or some incantation, but to pray effectively. Isn't that what you want? Like the three scenarios, they didn't learn how to ask effectively. The little boy, he thought if he just threw a fit that his mom or dad would give into him. And sometimes that does work, does it? Does it not? Uh, and again, and then we, then we say, oh, I'm never going to do that again. Uh, the, the, the young man, he starts off by saying, I know you're going to say no. Well, typically, what, what is a parent going to answer? Yeah, you're right. No. You know, there, there's an expectation of failure before they ever begin. And then for the other gentleman, he's so timid. He's been promised this, but he's still timid and nervous and he doesn't want to ask, even when times are good for the raise. And many times that's how you and I pray. We're either throwing a fit saying, I deserve this, I want this. Or we're going to God and saying, uh, I know you're going to say no. I don't think you're going to give this to me, but you know, I guess I have to. Or we're so nervous and timid that we don't believe that God would answer our prayer or we're afraid of how he might react. But we want to get the right effective way to have a prayer life. But too often we have the wrong idea of what prayer is or what it is to accomplish. Some common misconceptions about prayer that people have is that prayer is a magic wand. It's a mysterious device for the superstitious. God is like my personal big blue genie. And I just have to say the right words and God's going to give me whatever it is that I want. Some believe prayer is a first aid kit or a fire alarm, right? Used only in emergencies. Boy, I need God now. I made a mess out of things. Or prayer is the last resort. Has it come to this? Now i got to ask God. Oh my goodness. Or prayer is a tug of war. I think that's what me, me, a lot of Christians are, uh, may believe it is. It's a tug of war. It's a game played with God to convince him to do something nice for me. So we give him our best sales pitch. God, if you do this for me, then I'll do that. Or look at how good I've been. Or we live our life in that way. And so it's a tug of war. Or prayer is a duty. Oh, I got to say my prayer. It's on my to-do list. Uh, I got to mark that off. So I've got to pray. Or I've got to pray more and I'm not praying enough. And so it's just a duty. It's a, just a chore. And what is it that you and I do with duties and chores? 
we eventually just forget about them or we just do just enough to get by. We just straighten it up. So dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you so much. Help me be with me today and, and, and amen. Okay, I said my prayer. Well, prayer can be defined simply as talking with God, conversations with God. But I want us to understand that prayer, when we say conversations with God, there's a misnomer out there that when I say that, that that, that means that God is talking back to us through our prayers. And there's an error there that we can really fall into. So I, I like the phrase that it's, it's talking with God. We, in our prayers, we are talking with God. God speaks back to us through his word. He doesn't speak to you audibly or through dreams or through visions. Peter tells us that. He says, that was in times past, but now we have something much more sure than the visions and the dreams and the angels. We have his word. We have the word of Christ. So we need to be careful when we talk about prayer and what we think of prayer. David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, and, and this is a book that I want to give to all of you and I want to make sure, I, I really want to teach through this book. Uh, it's just a great biblical uh, book or a book that great, gives some great biblical disciplines uh, of what God wants us to do as Christian. He writes about the wondrous gift of prayer. You'll see it up here on the screen. He says, and wonder of wonders. Not only does God express himself and bid us to hear his voice through the word of God, through the Bible, but he wants to hear ours. That's amazing. It's not children are just to be seen, not to be heard. But God wants to hear from you. Look at all. the speaking God not only has spoken through his word, but he also listens. He stops and he stoops. Do you see that? Just, I, I kind of modeled that just a little bit here earlier. Uh, for some reason, Nolan wanted to say goodbye to me as he's going to the nursery. And he's coming and he's crying. So what do we do? I, I could pat his head. There's something about setting down and just bringing him to me and say, okay, goodbye. I'll see you later. God stops. Stoops. How often as parents do we stop and stoop? How often do we do that during the day with our coworkers, with our families, with our spouses? Now, don't stoop to your wife. That, that would probably not be a very good thing. But stooping has the idea of coming face to face. I remember doing that, I think, once with Landon one time. I just grabbed his face, and I think I, told, I said, I, 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 said I, I grabbed his face gently. And I, I looked at him and said, Lena, I want you to know that I see you, that I hear you. We hear, but we don't always see. But let's go on. He stops. He stoops. He wants to hear from you. He stands ready to hear your voice. Christian, you have the ear of God. We call it prayer. That's what prayer is. That's a gift that God has, has given to us. He, he says, I, 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 I don't just want you to hear from me, but I want to hear back from you. Matthew Mathis continues to note that prayer is not getting things from God. And you may want to write this down. Prayer is not about getting things from God. And that's usually what our prayers are, right? God, give me this. God, give me that. God, do this. God, do that. Prayer is not about getting things from God, but, and here's the key, getting God. That's what prayer is. With that in mind, let's turn back to our passage this morning. As disciples desire to learn how to pray as Jesus models, teaches, and illustrates how to pray. So in verse 2, Jesus responds, all right. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, several things are worth pointing out in Jesus' instructions as the first two petitions are about God. They, they concern God, and then you'll see that the other three uh, are personal requests. Now, this prayer that Jesus is teaching in 
Luke is, is similar, but also quite different from what he teaches in Matthew. And so we're going to look at these in a, a different way. But one of the things that we need to understand is you look here on the monitor, the, Lord prayer, the Lord's Prayer teaches us, I think, what is it, five things here. It teaches us a reverence for God's name. It teaches us a concern for God's kingdom. It teaches us a dependence on God's provision, a forgiveness of sin, and then deliverance from evil. So those are the five main things that we're looking at. Let's look at each one separately. The first phrase, Father, hallowed be your name, acknowledges the Father's glory. So your prayer should begin by acknowledging the Father's glory and the relationship to us. And I, I think that's important. Many times we just start with our, with our spouses or someone, hey, go do this for me or can you do that? How much different would we say, oh, my lovely wife, the fountain of my youth. How desirous you are towards me. You know, you just read Song of Solomon or you know, something like that. You know, what if we started with something a little bit more than, hey, do this for me. We, can, we can't even say their name. Or if we say their name, it's, it's dripping with sarcasm and, and resentful, you know, resentment. But no, there, there's a way in which we acknowledge him. Before we go into a list of all the litany of things that we want, it's, it's acknowledging who he is. Jesus points out that they are to address Yahweh, the almighty creator, the ultimate power of the universe, the great I am. They are to address them, this person as father. Now, this is totally out of whack for their Jewish mind. They wouldn't even write God's name down. They, 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 they won't even say his name. But here he says, no, he is your father. Galatians 4, 6. The Apostle Paul declares about our new relationship with God. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Papa. That's, a, that's what Abba means. Uh, we have said before, and it's a mistake, I think many of them now come. It's, it's not using the euphemism as daddy, as some type of child, but Papa, a, a term of endearment. God is our father. One that we can look to. The word hallowed, to, to say, Father, hallowed be your name, means to, sac to sanctify himself and to make sacred and holy. It's not to take the Lord's name in vain, but to recognize that we're speaking to Yahweh, the Almighty, the Creator, the one who gives us all good things. Peter declares in his first letter that believers are in your hearts to honor Christ the Lord as holy. I think if you and I were to do that, that may change some of the ways in which we pray. Maybe some of the things that we ask God for. Now, the second phrase, your kingdom come, let's move to that one. A concern for God's kingdom. It calls us to advance the Father's kingdom. Now, all of a sudden, God wants to hear from us. But typically what you and I want are things for our kingdom, to advance our health, to advance our wealth, to advance our goodness. But, but here he's saying, no, in your prayer, you want to advance the kingdom of God. Matthew says, your kingdom come as, as, and your will be done on earth as it does in heaven. But here we're acknowledging that we want to advance the Father's kingdom. The scripture proclaims that everyone must give absolute allegiance to Jesus. Even in our prayers, Jesus must have supreme rule. Paul in his letter to the church of Philippi declares, God has highly exalted Jesus and has enthroned on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even Satan himself must bow at the feet when the name of Jesus is proclaimed. You and I can see the power in Acts of when the name Jesus is proclaimed that the demons would squeal. And they, they would run back even in the gospels we would see they would shriek and shrivel. Because the name of Jesus is above all other names. Our vision here at Orangeville Bible Church is informed by Matthew 6.33. Where it calls us to seek his kingdom first. Seek first his kingdom. And seek his righteousness. And then all these things. Shelter, goodness, food. 
all these other things will be provided for us. So even in our prayers, we need to remove ourselves from the equation, remove our selfishness as we advance the Father's kingdom. To pray your kingdom call, your kingdom come, is a call to submit to the Father's will in all things. It's to recognize and proclaim that God is sovereign over all things. It's more than just a simple phrase, an incantation. It is a heart condition that's calling the reality of this world. Centuries ago in, a ba- in Babylon, a Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, he discovered this truth the hard way after proclaiming his own glory. He said, look at my kingdom. Look at all of what I've done. Look at these seven, uh, hang- or the, hanging, the hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was at that moment that God struck him and he became as an animal wandering in his forest for seven years, taking on animal-like characteristics, and he was out of his mind. Eventually, after the seven years, God snapped his fingers and brought Nebuchadnezzar out of that condition. And in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, we read this here on the monitor. We read Nebuchadnezzar's words. He says, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does nothing according or he does according to his will, excuse me, among the host of heavens, among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Well, Christians, what if this is something that you prayed each and every day and declared? Not just with your mouth, but with your hearts. Recognizing that your reason is come and you see God for who he is. It is my hope and desire that you and I will meet Nebuchadnezzar based on this testimony in heaven one day. I am not sure. But even if not, he even brings to the, uh, to the blinded, he, he opens their eyes to the reality of who the Most High is. To pray your kingdom come is to recognize what Nebuchadnezzar recognized. That his kingdom is forever. Now that third phrase, give us each day our daily bread. Now, now we're getting into our request. Things about us. The first two is, is lifting up. God, God is our father, but yet we must rever, reverence him. He, he, we must be awed by him. We must have a, a fear of who he is, an understanding of who God is. And we must recognize that in our prayers, we want to advance his kingdom, not our own. But now it does come. God says he wants to stop. And he wants to stoop and listen to us. So he says, then now pray, give us each day our daily bread. That's a request for the Father's provision. A request for the Father's provision. And it's for our daily needs. It's a plea for God to provide just what we need for that day, understanding that his grace is sufficient for the day. Now, think of it this in the first century, right? This is when this is written. This is when Jesus is teaching this. You and I have to recognize that not only food, but also for shelter, grace, peace, and power. In those days, people didn't have freezers. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have the modern convenience of of food preparation and storage that you and I uh, are privileged to have today. They usually received uh, their they they would usually receive their wages in the evening after work rather than work, uh, getting it at uh, for two or three weeks at a time, and they would have to go to the market each morning or each evening to buy what they needed for that day. Each day was a trust that God would provide for them. Now, give, give you an example. You know, we went to Sam's yesterday and said, man, you know, things are getting tough. Meat is getting higher. Uh, there's talk about food storage. So I said, Don, let's just get some meat. Let's just get this meat. Let's find what's good there and let's get it. And so we're getting the meat and then we take it home. We put it in storage and we're able to freeze it so we can count on tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. And in the freezer, it may last us uh, next year when things do get tight. And I encourage all of you, we need to kind of do that. But in this case, you didn't do that. You had to trust God that God would provide. So the man would work all day, get paid that evening, and then go to the market, market on the way home to get the food that his family would eat. Now, 
I know that there's probably some of you that have lived that type of existence where you did not know what you were going to eat the next day or that day or get put in your kids' as lunch. I've, I've been there. That's a tough way to live. There are people in our society that don't, that understand that very clear. But in this case, it's saying you're trusting God each and every day. That's hard for us because we don't understand that. All of us probably have food at home. All of us are counting on that check coming and we're paid for a week or two weeks in ahead. So we don't think of God every day except when we need him. But here it's bringing the point that is you need to give thanks each and every day. You need to request each and every day that God would give us. Now, in our tech context, it may not be food, but it may be the grace that we need. It may be the shelter that we need. It may be even looking to the future and saying, I'm going to need this. Lord, can you help us? Each day was a trust that God would provide for them. And we've kind of lost that today. And we need to recapture that. For you and I do not know what each day holds for us. Now the fourth phrase, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's a request for the Father's forgiveness. So we had Father's request for Father's provision, now a request for Father's forgiveness. This prayer bases the request on the fact that the believer is quick to forgive those who have hurt them. This is a request that comes with a qualification. Now, in Matthew's account of this teaching, Jesus proclaims a warning. He says, if you forgive others, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So there's a qualification as you and I are coming to pray. It brings us in remembrance is that there may be people that we need to forgive. And remember, there is a parable there, teaching in Scripture. It says, if you come to the altar for worship and you remember that you have ought or an issue against a brother, what does he say to do? Leave it at the altar. Go and take care of it. Sometimes in our prayers, we need to say, Father, I've, I've held on to some resentment. I, I'm holding on to some bitterness. I, I need to go take it. Before I ask God to forgive me, I need to go ask this person for forgiveness. Or I, in my own heart, I need to forgive them. I need to release that debt. Remember, we've talked about that. Is that anger is a debt that says you owe me. Bitterness is a debt that says you owe me. And what we need to recognize is that we cannot always live through that. I'm sorry. I'm be... Hey, um... okay, we're, we're okay. There's someone in the back that looks like he needs help. So, but yeah, well, uh, yeah uh, thank you, uh, Gary. Sorry about that, and I apologize to you who may be watching. <laughs> that confused look on my, on my face. Um, it usually does, I usually doesn't catch that, but it says sometimes, okay, good. All right, so as we come here, we need to recognize, as I'm going back to where I am, that we need to forgive. That's many times one of the things that is holding back our, 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 our prayers, and we'll look at that in a moment. But we need to forgive. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And what we're going to look at is this prayer captures the need for a lifetime discipline of repentance and confession. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes that we all stumble in many ways. So we need to pray. You and I stumble. We need to recognize that. So this prayer for forgiveness is very important. In 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 7. The apostle promises this, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, speaking of Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So this is why we must pray each and every day, Father, forgive us. Because you and I need to recognize that our life, even after becoming a Christian, after being born again, being regenerated, we still are going to stumble in many different ways. But he goes on to say, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he's given us this tool. He says, in your prayers, there needs to be a confession of sin. 
And you need to make sure that before you confess that sin, you need to forgive others. Don't ask your father to do what you yourself have not done or is unwilling to do. The last phrase, lead us not into temptation, is another request. And that's a request for the father's guidance and protection in times of testing and temptation. It's a request for God to order our steps away from Satan and his schemes. This prayer asks God to help us in our daily walk. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's, it's under, understanding that we need to walk in a way that pleases God. It's a prayer. Lord, help me to walk in the right path. Direct my steps. Jesus is aware that Satan is going to try and derail us from seeking God's kingdom. And it's easy for us to get our, our eyes away from the goal, from the goal and on to our needs and desires. So it's again, it's a reordering. So Lord, protect us from that. Lead us not in temptation. Now, as we look at these five things in summary, this prayer is teaching us to trust God's sovereignty and to rely on his providence for our well-being. However, you and I must not think of prayer as some type of formula or, or to recite or, to, or an incantation to recite. May he tells us to stay away from irrelevant babbling and repetitive words. But instead, we're not here to induce God to answer our petitions. In other words, these are not words that you and I are to pray every day, the Lord's Prayer. I think it's important for us to pray it. We ought to teach it as a family. We as families, we, I think here at the church, we should do that more often. We should pray these prayers because it's important to help us to give us that, that uh, guideline of how we should pray. Instead, Dr. Schreiner writes, as you look here on the monitor, he says, in the ancient world, it was common to view prayers as a formula with elaborate and drawn out invocations soliciting divine help. The Jews, they would use like the beads, just kind of like the Catholics themselves do, or they would use some type of thing to do. And every religion has that, some type of incantation, things that they would recite. But here he says, the prayer Jesus teaches his disciple stands out for its simplicity and brevity. Some of you would say, I don't like to pray out loud because I just don't know the words to say. Or I struggle with prayer because I don't have all the, the big flute and words. But that's not what prayer is. Our prayers are simple and brief. I use the term many times popcorn prayers because, I, you know, if, you, if I kneel down to pray and I pray for a long time, I'm going to sleep. My mind is going. We used to pray. I remember as a church when I was still a young Christian. And uh, while well, I was married and had the kids and we were at this church and we had a Wednesday night and we would pray. And at the end, we, we, we would, we'd sp- he'd give us a message, then, then we'd have all these prayer requests and then we would all gather in the groups and usually he'd say, okay, men, grab a couple of men, lay a couple of ladies and go pray. And I was one of those ones, we had this man in our church, loved him, he was a deacon. And he could pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And he'd just go on forever. And you're having to kneel the whole time. And I just can't kneel. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on one knee, and then I'm on the other knee, then I'm on both knees, and I'm on the other knee. I finally, man, I, I, I'll have to admit that when it said, okay, now let's break up for prayer, I made sure that I was not near, his, near him at all. I was going to find some teenager, because I know I could outpray that boy. So him and I would go, and we'd pray, and then we just, and then you kind of spend your time just kind of gossiping. I had to admit, that's what I did. I, Brother DeClute, I loved him, man, but sitting and praying with him, that was agony. It was difficult for me. My mind just could not do it. My body, even then as a 20-year-old, could not handle kneeling that long. I mean, they'd have to bring him out of prayer so we could go to, to the teaching time. Uh, and he was a great prayer warrior. And sometimes we think that's what prayer is. But God says, no, prayer is something which you're coming and you're speaking. You're speaking regularly. Not, you don't have to pray in the King James. You ever heard someone pray in the King James language? Dear Father, thou art the greatest God of all time. And I thank thee for thou hast blessed us in all things. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's how I grew up praying. And there was many times we get up and pray, and here I am as a 15-year-old praying in church, and I'm using these words. Half the time I don't even understand. And so we have to realize it's just you praying to your Father. Many have summed up Jesus' teach on prayer Using the acronym ACTS. Anyone ever heard that term ACTS? Meaning that our prayer should include these things here. 
Adoration, we're lifting up God. Confession, we're asking for forgiveness. It's thanksgiving. It's giving thanks for all that God has given to us. And then it's supplication, our request. And so this is just a good way. It's acts. It's just a good way to remember in our prayers, have I praised God? Have I confessed my sin? Have I given thanksgiving for what he's already given to us, what he has supplied to us? And then, and only then, then is it coming to my personal needs. So, Jesus then gives them content of what to pray. And now that he's given the content, he now begins to encourage them on how they are to pray. So look at with me at verse 5, and we're going to tackle this here. Because Jesus went on to say to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. Do you grab that? So here's the scenario. Here's this, this parable. And he's teaching them a basic principle of how to pray. He gave them the content of what to pray. Now he's telling them how to pray it, how to pray these things. Now, you have to remember in those days, typically there'd be a house with just maybe one or two, maybe three rooms. And typically the whole family slept in one room together. And here we have this parable, a man, a friend of his, maybe a next door neighbor, he all of a sudden has a, uh, a surprise visitor that comes in the middle of the night. And in any hospitality, you would offer him something after his long journey. And, and he recognizes, realizes we have no bread in our house. So he goes over to his friend. Well, he's my friend. He'll give me some bread. Maybe he'll have some left over. So he knocks on the door. Hey, can you give me some bread? I have a friend. You know how important it is to offer him some bread. The man is saying, well, wait a second. You're going to wake up the whole house. Stop knocking. He recognizes, hey, we're all together. I'm going to have to step over five children just to get over. I am not waking up the baby. There is just no way. We just got him down. There's no way I'm going to. Go away. But the man was so audacious and kept knocking and knocking and knocking. And here Jesus says he's not going to give him bread and answer his request because he's a friend. He does it because he's just upset with the man because of his, 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 his continually going at it. His shamelessness at knocking at midnight, knowing that he's going to wake up his family. So in almost, there's almost a reluctance in which he's doing it, but that's not what we're seeing here. In verse 9, Jesus teaches a spiritual truth that holds a great promise for you and I. When you and I are to pray, he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So what he's saying here is Jesus is saying is when you ask, you need to be persistent in your asking. You need to be bold in your asking. To flesh that out, Jesus continues with a common sense illustration in verse 11. For he goes, what father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? It's not going to happen. At least I don't know too many fathers. Well, there might be a few of you out there. But most fathers, they're not going to trick their kids. Well, maybe just for fun. But for something that they truly need. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. In other words, he's going to give him a good thing. He's, look, it's not giving him a serpent and a scorpion that, that's going to hurt the child. You're not going to give him something that hurts them. You're going to give him something that's good, something that's helpful, helpful and healthy. Verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's a comparison there. If you give good gifts to your children and you are not God, you are evil concern, uh, comparison to God, how much more will the Father give you good things? Again, going to Thomas Schreiner, he writes at the point of the parable, you'll see it here on the monitor. 
is that you and I are to persist in prayer because the Lord longs to give what is good to us. The idea is not that we beg the Lord as if he were reluctant to give, as if we must extract something from him that he does not want to give. We are to persist in prayer. Now listen to this, because persistence reveals what we truly want. In other words, you give up too easily. Persistent tells us what we truly want and how much we want it. That man wanted and needed that bread. That's what his persistence was. It revealed what he truly wanted. It truly revealed who he was. It was his friend. He didn't go to some other house. He stayed there and continued. This captures other scriptures where we are encouraged to pray. You see them up here. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Hebrews tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of help and need, as well as 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, there's a qualification though. He hears us. He is calling us to be persistent. Many times you and I are not receiving from God because we truly don't want it. God is weeding it out with that. You see, God is a good father who desires and delights in providing for his children. And we are to approach him with confidence, with boldness, and with love. And reverence. But let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand or answer, but just answer in your heart. Have you ever struggled with praying like this? Do you ever feel like you're not praying enough? I'll raise my hand on that. Do you ever feel guilty about your prayer life? Are you ever at loss at what to say and what to request? Your mind just kind of go blank and you're you're just repeating the same things. Or are you discouraged that your prayers are not being answered? There may be some of you that have been persistent in your prayer. And you've been crying out to God for a while. Lord, please provide. Please give. Please help us through this suffering. And yet you do not feel that you've been answered. Your prayers do not get past the ceiling. You're not alone. Many of us feel this way. And when we feel this way, we should not abandon the habit of grace. This is a habit of grace. This is something that God has given to us that is not given to those that are not of his children. God does not hear the prayer of sinners other than the prayer of repentance and confession. But this is a discipline. We need to dive deeper into prayer as God stops and stoops, and listens. Here are a few scriptures that can help us in those times when you feel discouraged, when you feel alone, when you feel that he doesn't hear you. In Romans chapter 8, we, we, here's what we do when we know, uh, when we don't know what to pray for. And sometimes that's, that's my thing. I just don't know how to pray for my own spiritual growth and my struggle with sin. Look what he says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit intercedes. Do you imagine that? And there are times I've taken this verse to heart. I've said, Lord, there is some deep things that I want to take care of. And I don't even know how to pray. And I just pray, Spirit, would you just speed what it is up to God? Because I don't know exactly how to say it. I don't know the words to say. Here is my grief. Please give me relief. Not only does Jesus pray for you, but the Holy Spirit intercedes, filling in what's lacking in your faith and what's lacking in your prayers. When you and I are sure of our faith, here's Psalms chapter 62. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. 
On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. We said that this morning. Let's not trust in chariots and horses. We can end a prayer. Don't trust just in your employment, your health, your intellect, or some government social program. Trust in the Lord. Amen? And so you and I need to do that. There is times that we're just not sure what's going on. You need to trust in the Lord that he is a good father who knows what you need before, he says, you even ask. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge. And then you say, wait a second, but when our prayers are not answered in the way we expect, there's many times that I have not heard from God or, or there's a prayer and it's, and it's a no. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Why don't you turn there real quickly? I think we got just a moment. We're almost done. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? An important verse. Paul is praying. He's struggling. And it's hard for us to understand the Apostle Paul, Mr. Super Christian himself. I'm sure that if he were to peel off his robe, he had a, he had a super S on his S-A, super apostle, etched on his chest. But even he struggled with prayer. Even he received from the Lord that which he didn't want. He was a man of prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 7. Paul is saying, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. In other words, because God had given me such a great ministry and to keep me grounded and humbled, he says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, many have questioned, what could that thorn in the flesh be? Many think it was a physical ailment. Uh, we know from scripture that he had problems with his eyes. The Bible tells us that he was not a man that anyone would look on. It looked like he was stooped. It said that his words, his words were weighty, but when he spoke, it was contemptible. He was not a great public speaker. So we're not really sure of it, but here we see it says a messenger of Satan to, to harass me. So in other words, it could have been an actual demon who was continually uh, keeping him, uh, trying to either get him to pride or to get him to sin in some type of way. But he says three times, he goes, he goes uh, three times in verse eight. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. Lord, deliver me from this messenger of Satan. Whatever is going on, deliver me. But God answered, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may be rest upon me. For when I am weak, then am I strong as he goes on. In other words, his answer was not the answer he was looking for. God didn't say, I'll take this away. No, God says, listen, my grace is sufficient. You must suffer and endure. God's answer for some of you today is you must suffer and endure. But in your suffering and your endurance, I will give you the grace to endure that and suffer it. And with that, you and I must accept it and be content. And that is very difficult. We must remember the purpose of prayer Pastor Dungeon, uh, Dustin Benj tweeted this past week, it's never wrong to pray for God to perform a, mir to perform a miracle. God still is a miracle-working God. Uh, we believe that. God is doing a miracle every day. As long as our prayer ends, he says, it's never wrong to pray for God to perform a miracle. As long as our prayer ends with, Father, your will, not mine, be done. And then be content with the answer. In other words, many times our prayers are not answered, but we're confused about the purpose then of prayer. Turn to James chapter 4. And in this passage, James addresses and warns his readers about the divisions and fights and quarrels among brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may say, why is it that I'm not getting the answer that I want? I'm being persistent. 
I'm using Acts. I'm using the right formula. Again, don't think of it as a formula or as a, re, a recitation. Think of it as a guide to help us and to understand how to pray and how to speak to our, to our Father. But in verse 1 of James chapter 4, we read this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel for those things that you want and cannot have. He goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask. James is saying, didn't Jesus already teach us what to do and how to approach this? But instead, we're just fighting in the flesh. Look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, some of us are asking wrongly for the wrong things, for the wrong reasons to go on. James holds no thing, nothing back. He says, you adulterous people. He says, some of you are cheating on God. You're being immoral. You're desiring another lover, another father, another God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, who wishes, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's, what we're seeing is we're, we're desiring the same things as the world desires. Now, we're not talking about houses and lands and health, things of that nature, though it could be. Because those things become idols that put themselves directly against an almighty God who knows all of our needs and says, I will give you all that you need. I will supply all that you need. But yet we want what the world wants and we want it for the same reasons as the world wants. You see, your prayers, get this, your prayers will indicate your allegiances. Now that's going back to why we're praying, your father, your kingdom come. That's what we're talking about, persistence. That man in that parable, what was his allegiance? To his friend to give him something to eat. Not to his friend whose family was asleep. That's why we're to be persistent. Because in the end, your prayers tell us what your allegiances are. Either you are a child of God or you're an enemy of God. Do you pray as an unbeliever? Lord, give me this, give me that. Supply this, supply that. I need this, I want this, I desire this. Do you pray as an unbeliever? Do you desire God to give you the things of the world to satisfy your selfish and fleshly desires? Prayer is not about getting what you want, but again, as we said in the beginning, about getting more of God. Gordon MacDonald in his book, Ordering Your Private World, writes these words. He says, we live in a society that is reasonably organized. Put a letter in the box and it usually ends up where you want to go. Order an item from a catalog, remember those days? And it comes to you in the right size, color, and model. Ask someone to provide you a service and it is reasonable to expect that it will work out that way. Still does today. With the internet, it's just even exploded even more so. In other words, you and I are used to results in response to our arrangements. That is why prayer can be discouraging for some of us, he writes. How can we predict the results? We are tempted to abandon prayer as a viable exercise and try getting the results ourselves because God is not a mail order uh, internet. He's not, a, he's not Amazon. He answers and gives us things much differently than what we expect. Bring your attention to the monitor as we close out Gordon McDonald's words. He says, but the fact is, is that my prayer life cannot be directly tied to the results I expect or demand. I've had many opportunities by now to see that the things I want God to do in response to my prayers can be what? Unhealthy for me. I have begun to see that worship and intercession are far more the business of aligning myself with God's purpose than asking him to align with me or align with mine. So now we find the purpose of prayer. And I've shared this with you before. Prayer is talking with God. It's our opportunity to talk to the Almighty. 
He speaks to us through his word, but we're still able to come to him in prayer so that he may listen to us. But the purpose of prayer is not to get what you want, but to align yourselves with God. That's why sometimes he doesn't answer. That's why he calls you to be persistent. Because in being persistent, it shows what your true desires are and your allegiances are. So prayer and God's answer of prayer is God's way of saying a health heart check. What do you truly want? What do you truly need? That's what prayer is. It's aligning ourselves with the lighthouse, not the other way around. There's an old song. I think I've mentioned this before. It starts out with this, this, this big ship is coming. He sees a light coming at him and he thinks it's a ship. There's fog all around and he can't see very well. And their, their instruments were not at the level that you and I have today. And he cries out and he goes onto the radio and he says, hey, the, a ship to this. And he gives the, the coordinates. He says, you need to adjust your course. The, light, the, the thing comes back and says, uh, no, you need to adjust your course. Again, he goes, I'm a, I'm the, I'm a captain of a naval destroyer. Now, now do this. Change your course. Again, the reply comes back, no, I'm sorry. Change your course. Again, he cries out, you don't understand who I am. And finally comes back and says, um, this is the lighthouse. Change your course. I'm an immovable object. I'm your guide. I'm your direction. Not who you are. And so prayer begins with our Father, our relationship. It then comes to your kingdom come. It's aligning ourselves with God. And then before we get to our request, then we confess our sins. We give thanksgiving and recognizing all that the God gives us. It's not coming in a complaining spirit. And then and only then do we ask God to give us the things that are healthy and good for us. I pray that God will answer your prayers. I pray that as you leave here this morning, that your prayers are going to be more effective and strong. That there's going to be a, a power in your prayer. And that God is going to start answering your prayers and your prayer life is to become so sweet that you're going to desire it the first thing in the morning and the last thing in the night and all through the day. I pray that your prayers and your allegiances will be aligned with his purpose and plan for your life. So let us commit to this wonderful gift of prayer as a habit of grace that God may be glorified and for our good. Let me end with these three words of encouragement from scriptures. They're here in the monitor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Prayer is not something that you schedule. Prayer is something that you should be doing each and every moment of your life. Lord, thank you for this moment. Lord, help me as I merge into this traffic. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for this beautiful sunshine. Lord, help me at work. Prepare me for what's going on. Lord, I'm getting on Twitter. Lord, help me to be, help me to be godly. Lord, help me to like the right things, desire the right things. In Colossians, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving than the one that we all know. The one verse that we all have memorized, pray without ceasing. I was so thankful for 3 Thessalonians 5.17. That helped me many times in Awana. Pray without ceasing. I got a verse memorized. Let's pray without ceasing. For God wants to hear from his children. He's ready to stop, to stand, and stoop and hear us, that we may align ourselves with him. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. I believe Landon is doing our pastor's prayer. For the rest, would you just take a moment, just bow your head just for a moment before we just continue on? Because I want to pause. And I want you to consider what I share with this this morning. And would you consider what God is calling you today in your prayer life? Do you desire a stronger prayer life? Do you desire more of God, to get more of him, to, 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 to expose your allegiances and be more aligned with him. I pray that that is. If so, I pray that you would just lift up a prayer and then ask the Holy Spirit, Father, show me how to respond to this. Show me in the areas that I need to grow. Supply what's lacking 
in my faith when it comes to prayer. But above all, Lord, would you love us? Show us who you are, that God may be glorified. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.